again. Let us pray. Father, nothing, nothing but the blood of Your Son, our Savior, shed for sinners like us can cleanse us, can make us right, can purify us, and can draw us to Yourself and draw us to one another. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The reality, Father, is nothing but You is all that we need and all we need to hear from. So God, we ask that as we open up Your Word, as we turn to Holy Scriptures, that nothing but the voice of Jesus would be heard. Father, we pray that the things that are said that aren't from Jesus, that are merely my opinion, that are wrong, that those things would fall away and be forgotten. And that we would see no one but Your Son. And we would hear no one but Your Son. And we would follow no one but Your Son, empowered by Your Spirit. All for Your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn with your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 10. We're going to be there this morning in John 10. Katie and I, this week, we were able to uh, go out and have a great meal with three other couples. A lot of fun, just gathered around together, some great Italian food, a little vino, uh, some wonderful conversation. And the hours kind of dragged on, and we ordered appetizers, we ordered dessert, we kind of passed around the fork, everybody tried, everybody else. It was one of those great times. You know those times? It turned into an even better time. Because before, really, three couples even saw a bill, one couple, quickest to the punch, paid for the rest of us. Aren't those the greatest meals you've ever had? He paid for the, the rest of us. But when I say the rest of us, I mean, he didn't pay for the whole restaurant. He just paid for those that were around his table. We all thought it was Dutch treat, but instead, it was awesome. We got a special treat. Well, we could think about the generosity. He only paid for us, but I I suppose he could have paid for everybody in the restaurant. I mean, he's a generous friend. He might might have been able to go to the hostess and say, here, listen, I want to tell you, here's what I want to do. I want to pay for everybody's meal here tonight, every single one's meal who wants me to pay for their meal. And if anybody asks for a free meal, here's my credit card, and I want you to put their meal on my credit card. I want to pay for everybody. I'll pay for everybody who asks. All they have to do is ask. Now, if that were the case, if he gave his credit card uh, to the hostess and says, I will pay for anybody's meal who asks, whose meal did he pay for at that moment? No one's. I mean, really, he hasn't paid for anybody's meal. He only paid for the possibility that that meal might be paid for. And if that were the case, if this very generous friend gave his credit card and said, I will pay for anybody's meal as long as they ask, who really has the power for the free meal? Is the power bestowed to the giver of the credit card or is the power for the free meal and the one who asks, the one who chooses? The one who says, I'll take the free meal. 
Well, you've got to agree with me, right? The power then really isn't in the giver. The power is in the receiver and the one who asks for that free meal. Well, if you're confused, I took his credit card, and we're going to try this at lunch, all right? So <laughs> come with me to Chili's, and uh, no, I don't have his credit card, just his number. <laughs> but there's really good news. We have some really, really good news is that we have something a lot better than a generous friend. Listen, there's a generous God, and he's really generous. And he is so giving. He is so benevolent. He is so merciful. Do you know that God? He is so generous. And this God is so generous that he's going to do something so much greater than paying a meal for us. He's going to pay a debt that we owe, that we should pay of our very lives. He is going to pay our debt of sin, and his credit card of choice is his only begotten son. And he's going to come and give us this great gift. And he's going to pay the son, God the son is going to pay for our debt on the cross for our sin. The question we're going to wrestle with this morning is this, whose debt did Jesus pay for on the cross? Did he die for everyone? All men, women, and children who will ever be born. He died for the world. God so loved the world that he was going to die on the cross for any and everybody. Well, we got a problem with that because if Jesus died on the cross for every person who was ever born, man, woman, and child, and then that debt has been paid, that bill's been paid, and then everybody would be saved, right? I mean, think about that for a minute. If Jesus died on the cross for every person who ever lived and he made that payment, it's like you can't get another bill for the meal. I mean, the owner can't run down the street and say, oh, oh Mr. Jakes, hold on, you didn't pay your bill. I said, no, hold on. My friend paid it in full. I could show you the receipt. Okay, so then you say, okay, maybe that can't be right. Maybe Jesus died just for those who would choose him. Those who... He would, would somehow choose him. And so then we have to think of this. this is, I know this is, this is tough. Hang in, there, hang in there with me. Then really, if Jesus died for just those who would choose him, he didn't die for anyone in particular. And he really didn't die for anybody's sins. He just died for the possibility. He's that credit card. The possibility that some sins will be forgiven. And then who has the power to receive this gift? Who is the gift limited by? Are we the ones who choose or is God the one who chooses to who gives this gift to and who this gift's passed by? This scripture passage we're going to look to, this is this is where we got to look. These are tough questions, but we don't want my opinion, we want God's opinion. So we're going to go to scripture. We're going to look at John chapter 10 and we're going to realize that God's son is called the good shepherd of the sheep and Jesus came to die for his sheep for his family. Let's look at this text together. John 10 verses 11 through 30. Let's be mindful that this is God's word. It's holy, it's an errant. It'll never lead us astray. Uh, God has given it to us, and we need to submit ourselves to it. John 10, starting in verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Thank you. For those of us who are His, that's who we are. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and they shall be one flock and one shepherd, and have one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. See how they handled this teaching. The Jews heard these words and they again were divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Who is to listen to Him? But others said, These are not the saying of someone possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews were, uh, who were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, let's pray. Father, this is a text that we need to hear. So we ask that you would give us ears to hear so that we can understand that you would draw sheep to yourself. God, they're not going to be your sheep because they hear. Because they hear, they are your sheep. This is difficult. And for many, this might be new. But Father, this is biblical. So speak. Speak clearly. Speak boldly. Speak through a broken sinner. Who needs to hear it too? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I love this declaration that Jesus says. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I've come. Isaiah 53 talked about me coming. Isaiah said that there'd be a shepherd who would come and who would be pierced for our transgressions. That would be broken because of our iniquities. Unbelievably, because of the shedding of His blood, God promised to provide one that would make us clean, that would make us white as snow, and that would forgive our sins, and that would bring us into a relationship again with the Father. 
dealing with our sins, atoning for our sins. And now Jesus comes and he says, I am the one. I am. And by the way, this I am should ring in our ears because when Moses stood at the burning bush and asked God's name, he says, I am. I am who I am and I will be who I will be. I am. I am the great I am. And now throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to use language that is extremely offensive to the Jews because they know I am as Yahweh, as the true and living God. And now here comes this rabbi, this prophet, who we know is God in the flesh. And he rightfully says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, before Abraham was, I am. This is, I am the vine. And now he says, to his followers, I am the good shepherd. And I lay down my life for my sheep. And the question we want to start off with is this, why? Why did he have to lay down his life for the sheep? What, why? I mean, what, what's this giving of your life deal? As Jack mentioned, we started a series two weeks ago when we looked at the first week in the series in this Doctrines of Grace was the total depravity of man. And what we looked at is this, that every single one of us, Romans 3.23 says, all of us have sinned in God's sight. All of us are far from perfect. We haven't done that which God has asked us to do, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors, ourselves. We've done a lot of things he's told us not to do in our thoughts, in our words, in our minds. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. And then Scripture tells us that we should be paid back for that sin because God's a holy God. Because God's got to deal with sin. In Romans 6.23 says this, the wages or the payment of our sins, and all of us have sinned, is death. And so if the payment of our sins is death, sin must be punished. God's Justice can't be thwarted. Listen, this is really, really important. Because a lot of people would say that God is very benevolent. He's in heaven. He knows that we're fallen. He knows we're not perfect. And he's up there as a big cosmic scale. And he's looking at the good. And he's throwing the good things on the good, saying, oh, that a boy, that a girl, good job. And he's looking at the bad. He's, oops, that's too bad. At the end of the day, he's going to see where it all balances out. And if there's more good than bad, then you're in. That's not true. Because it says all of us have fallen short. And as soon as we fall short, we've, our nature has been ruined. We're born sinners. And every single sin has to be dealt with. Even the little ones. He's got to deal with them. Listen, here's why. He's holy and without sin. God's justice has to be administered. And for God to be just and for God to be holy, He must deal with with every single one of our little picadillos, big sins, small sins, he's got to deal with them. He can't wink at them. And the payment is death. That's our lot apart from him. But we have such good news that he's provided for us his own son. All sin deserves death. And that is why the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. He said, I'm going to die in their place. They deserve to die, but... I'm going to take God's wrath. I'm going to be killed instead of them so that we can have God's love, justice, and mercy experiencing in our lives. This is really, really good news. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. 
He Himself, Jesus Himself, bore our sins in His body on the cross. He actually became our sins. He bore them so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, we are healed. And Peter here is quoting Isaiah 53. For you and I, we were like sheep going astray. Listen to this sheep metaphor. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Because the Father poured out His wrath for our sin on His Son. That is really, really, really good news. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death, that every sin has to be paid for, but He's provided us an atonement. He's provided us a substitute. He provided us His own Son who absorbs the wrath that God who is just and holy has poured out on sinners like us. So why did He have to lay down His life? Well, if He didn't lay down His life, we'd be forever separated from God. If He didn't lay down His life, we would never be forgiven. If He didn't lay down His life, every one of us would experience hell. Hell on earth and hell for eternity. Isn't it good news that the Good Shepherd laid down His life for the sheep? Isn't it good news that He would absorb God's wrath so that we would not have to? Well, the question then is, well, for whom did Christ die? Did He die for the world? It seems like the Bible talks a lot about that. I mean, uh, John 1, the Gospel of John starts off with in John 1, 29. You can look it up. Uh, John the Baptist said, Behold, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then you go to John 3.16 and we hear this very, very famous... You guys, everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 2.2 uh, tells us that Jesus became an atonement for our sins. Not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Okay, so how is this going to be? Did, did He die for the world? Or did He die for the sheep? Or how, how does this work? Well, a close investigation of this word world, uh, cosmos and, and Greek, can be translated in different ways. But really the emphasis here is this. We are being told He didn't just die for the nation of Israel. He died for every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group. A multitude that He has chosen called the elect. And it includes the entire world. But at close examination, we see that He died specifically that world, those sheep, is for His sheep. John 10, again, verse 11 and 12. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays His life down for who? The sheep. John 15 I lay down my life for the sheep. And in John 26, John 10, 26, it says this, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Jesus himself tells us there's some who are his sheep, those who hear his voice, those that he has chosen before time began, they will hear his voice, and some who will not. They're not going to obey. They're not going to hear. Why? Because they're not his. That's why. And he says, I lay my life down for my sheep. And in the very same chapter, and the very same uh, part of Scripture, he says, and there are some who are not my sheep. Wow. Did he lay his life down just for his sheep? In John 17, verse 9. If you want to flip over there, it's an amazing passage. In John 17, it's Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's a prayer that he's going to pray to the Father right before uh, he goes to the cross. And as he's praying, 
He's thanking God for all that the Father has given to him. And you get to verse 9. Look at chapter 17, verse 9. Jesus says basically this. He says, I am not praying for the world. I'm only praying for those you gave me. He was about ready to give his life. And now he says, I'm going to pray for those before time began you gave to me that I was going to come rescue. And those are the ones that I'm praying for, but not the world. So would Jesus only pray for his sheep and then turn around and die for all? I think not. He only laid his life down for his sheep. Who are these? Whom did Christ die? Well, he died for his sheep. He died for the elect in verse 26. Um, It talks about all those that the Father has given to him. Uh, Those before time began, God the Father had given to God the Son to redeem. If you go back to John 6, verse 37, uh, it talks about all whom the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. We need to hear both sides of that beautiful text. All the Father, before time began, gives to the Son. Every single one of those sheep are going to come. There's such good news. There's not going to be one that's going to be lost. And He's going to lay His life down for every single one. He's going to pay the payment for every single one. And every single one who comes, He will never, ever drive away. Isn't that great news? But who's going to come? His sheep. Only those He empowers. Only those that He gives a great grace and gift to come. What God is saying is this, is I am going to be paying for my family. I'm paying for my family. I'm going to send my son as a sacrifice, and he is going to pay for my family. Not just for everybody's possibility. He's going to make sure that my family, God's family's debt has been paid in full. That's such good news. That's what God says. Ephesians 5.25 tells us as husbands that we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, for the church, for the bride of Christ. Not for every single person who ever lived. Christ came and gave Himself up for His family, His church. So what is really limited with the atonement? This is a, uh, we get to this acronym TULIP. We're talking about the doctrines of grace. If you missed uh, the first week I talked about the history of this. There's an acronym, uh, acronym, TULIP, Total Depravity, Unconditional Election. They're on limited atonement. What is limited? What is limited about God's sacrifice of His Son? What is limited? Well, it's either one of two things. The power to save. Either the power to save is limited or the scope of salvation of who it saves. Let's talk a little bit about the power to save. If Christ died for all, listen, if Christ came and died for every man, woman, and child that ever lived, He didn't die for anyone in particular. He just died for all in general. And if all aren't saved, if Christ came to die for all and all aren't saved, His death is limited in its power. It didn't work. He came for the world and the world didn't respond. Too bad, Jesus. The cross was good for some, not good for others. It didn't really work. Apparently the limit is in the power. So in an Arminian, we believe that 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 power isn't there. There's really no power in the cross. If it's true that He came for everyone and everyone's going to come, it's just a possibility. 
The Christ didn't save anybody's sins. It's just a possibility that all sins can be forgiven. He truly didn't pay if that's the case for anybody. If that, that's the case, it's like this. God gave a credit card to his son. He put it down and says, hey, anybody who chooses, I'll pay for it. I'm not really paying for anybody in particular, but anybody who wants it, there's that, my son. I'll let him pay for it, but you've got to choose. Mildred Erickson, he's uh, an Arminian who believes this. Uh, he loves Jesus, uh, and this is the way he describes this. He says, God intended that the atonement, at the atonement to make salvation possible for all persons. Christ died for all persons. But this atoning death becomes effective only when we, when accepted by the individual. Did you hear what he's saying? Here's what he's saying. The atonement was only a possibility. It's only effective is when you say, I want it. There's really no power in the cross. The power is in your choosing. It's like someone taking your credit card and you say, can you hold it for a while? I just recently ordered some shirts and they're on back order. And I asked them, hey, when will you charge my credit card? Well, not until we send them. Not until the transaction really takes place. According to this view, there was really no sins being paid for on the cross. It was just a possibility. And when you decide you want it, the charge card is wrong, and they say, okay, Christ's death is effective. It's not true. He died for sins. He didn't die for the possibility of sins. So it's either limited by the power to save, and I'm telling you, it's ultimately powerful, or the scope of salvation. Christ died specifically for his sheep, not those who would never come. Our Father did not waste our precious, his precious Son, our Savior's blood, on one person who wouldn't come. It wasn't wasted. There wasn't one drop of Jesus' blood wasted. He paid the price for sins. And the only thing that is limited in His atonement, His sacrifice, is those He chose to save. But the power was sufficient to cleanse His son's and daughter's blood. It was powerful enough to truly reconcile us to God. It was powerful enough to make sinners like us holy in His sight. It was powerful enough to make us His. It had power. There was power in the blood. There wasn't just possibility in the blood. There was power in the blood. Charles Spurgeon, my hero, said this when he talks about who limits the atonement. Those who think that we choose Christ's sacrifice or those that believe like this church does and the Scripture teaches that Christ laid His life down for the sheep. Spurgeon says this, Now who is it that limits the death of Christ? Why you, those Arminians, would say that Christ did not die so as infallibly to secure salvation of anybody? We beg your pardon. When we say we limit Christ's death, we say, no, my dear sir, it is you to do that. We say Christ died so that He infallibly secured salvation of a multitude that no man can number who through Christ's death not only made, uh, may be saved, but listen to this, through Christ's death that we are saved. You're welcome to your atonement. You may keep it, but we will never renounce ours for the sake of it. What is the limited? Is it the limited in the power or limited in scope? Who limits the atonement? Is it mankind, humankind? Is it us who is able to accept Christ's sacrifice? 
Do we limit it by our choice? Are we the ones who get to choose? Or is it God? And by the way, if it's true, if we're dead in our trespasses and sins, what do dead men choose? God, in a mystery, before time began, decided to love his family. Mystery. Why he would love any of us. We rebelled against him. By nature, we're children of wrath. By nature, we hate him. We run from him. But before time began, he just said, I'm going to love sinners. And out of this fallen world, I'm going to rescue my family. I'm going to make sure that they're rescued. And before time begins, and before we do anything good or bad, he's going to say, I'm going to take my family, and they'll forever be my family. And I'm going to rescue them. And I'm going to send my son Jesus, and he's going to come, and he's going to seek and to save the lost. And guess what? That's the lost sheep. And he says, I'm not going to lose any. And I'm going to lay my life down for my sheep. The ones before time began, the Father gave me, I'm going to get them. I'm going to lay my life down so they can be cleansed. I'm going to pay for their sins on the cross, not the possibilities. I'm going to pay for their sins. And then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to give them a new heart, a new life, and they're going to freely, joyfully embrace me as Savior. That is biblical teaching of salvation. Who limits Christ's atonement? Well, it's God who says, I'll pay for my family, thank you. I'll pay for every single one of them. All of them. And He paid it all on the cross. And what happened at that transaction at the cross? It went through. He didn't say, okay, hold my charge card until you decide. He says, no, no, I'm paying for their sins. Well, why does this matter? As we close, why does it matter? Okay, good stuff, maybe. Uh, kind of heady, theological. Who cares? Jesus loves me, right? Well, I think it matters because it's what the Bible teaches, and we can't shy away from it. If it's in God's Word, it's good for us. We've got to be good Bereans and dig in. But why does it matter? Listen. This is, this is the icing. Don't miss the icing. Children of God, we can say, Christ died for me. He died for me. Not just a possibility to me. He died for me. My name was graven on His hands that were pierced with the nails. Before time began, me. He had my name in mind when He went to the cross not just as a possibility, but for a reality. He bore my sins. My sins have been forgiven. I have been set free. I have been reconciled to the Father. I truly have been purchased with a price. I have been cleansed. I have been made whole. I have been forgiven. Because He thought of me, His children, before time began. I was truly purchased. I was truly washed. I was truly reconciled. And that truly is amazing grace. The Father carved His children's name in the cross. We didn't carve our name there. The Father carved His children's name in the cross. We didn't do it. And He made sure that every single name of His family was there. And He didn't miss one. And that is the most amazing grace man has ever heard of. Of a God who truly loves sinners enough to make sure of their salvation. To pay the price of their sins through the beautiful Savior. And that is why we realize... As God works in our hearts, this amazing grace 
is so sweet. And the sound of it. Why? Because it gives God all the credit. You see, the generosity of a friend bought me a really good dinner. It cost him a bunch. But I know for sure his lifestyle wasn't really altered. But the generosity of the ultimate friend named Jesus gave His very life for us. Jesus became poor so that through His poverty, we could become rich. Do you know that deep, deep, deep love of Jesus? You don't have to be here and wonder, well, did He die for me? Am I one? If you desire, if you desire that a death to be for you, you are one of His sheep because you would never even have that desire if He didn't give it to you. We're going to talk more about that next week. But this morning, for those of you who want to know that deep, deep love of Jesus that is so great that He'd go to the cross for you this morning, if you embrace Him as your Lord and Savior, say, I believe that you died for my sins. My name was there on the cross. And I accept that by your grace. Come and fill my life with your Spirit. I am yours. And know this great story, this amazing story, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, it's my hope and prayer that no one will leave here this morning without knowing Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they will be able to say the good shepherd laid his life down for me. And I am his. Not just for the possibility of sins to be forgiven, but he forgave my sin. He became my sin so that I could become his righteousness. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus that makes that possible. May that love reign in our hearts, in our lives, in this church for today and forevermore. It's in his name we pray. Amen.